Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Until Death Do Us Part, intimate true stories about the end of life, afterlife, and more. Call in to share your own story on the air. The number is 516-666-9881. I'm Dave Maroff, and welcome to Until Death Do Us Part. Here are your co-hosts, Summer Bacon and Liz Johnson. Good afternoon, good evening. From wherever you are listening in the world, welcome to Until Death Do Us Part, live from Sedona, Arizona. I'm Summer Bacon. And I'm Liz Johnson. We are the proud sponsors of Hoofs and Horns Farm Sanctuary in Picture Rocks, Arizona. To find out more about all the work that they're doing for the animals in that area, please visit their website at www.hoofsandhornsfarm.org. And welcome to our show. Um, we are really excited about our special guest today, and uh, we encourage you to call in with your questions, comments, and most of all, we really encourage you to share your own stories as well. Our special guest today is a retired pediatric hospice nurse, and she's been doing that. She did that for 14 years. <clears throat> Prior to this, she was a pre- pediatric oncology nurse for about 35 years. She spent the better part of her adult life in the field of death and dying. Amazing. Anyway, we are going to take a uh, short commercial break. We will be right back with our special guest. Hoofs and Horns Farm Sanctuary is deeply committed to the animals who come here in need. They're either abused, abandoned, orphans, and sometimes just old and worn out, those who have no other options. But we see value in each of God's creatures. We give them a safe, happy life with friends, family, vet care, and great food. One thing they all have in common is everybody else gave up. But we need your help. We're a 501c3 nonprofit charity, and we need your donations to continue helping the animals who need us. Please visit Hoofs and Horns Farm Sanctuary on Facebook or hoofsandhornsfarm.org. Thanks so much. And welcome back. If you have a question you would like to ask our special guest or us, please call us at 516-666-9881. Call in and share your story. We would love to hear what you have to say. Well, yeah. Well, uh, we're just so excited. We're excited to introduce our special guest. She, she, uh, as I mentioned, was a pediatric hospice nurse for 14 years and an oncology nurse for about 35 years. And of course, it's the holidays and people are often have a very hard time at the holidays because of the passing of a loved one uh, and remembering those that we are dearly departed loved ones. And um, and so our, our guest is uh, very knowledgeable about all of this from her work. And in her words, I, I just love this. She said, I was privileged to learn how to live in the present from the beautiful souls I cared for and helped into their next journey. I realized at a young age I was able to see, hear, and talk to people who had passed. As I developed this, it was tantamount to helping my patients and families find peace and comfort on their journey. Having had a number of near-death experiences of my own over the years, it helped me to give comfort and answer questions of patients and families. So we're really excited to welcome the wonderful and beautiful Eve Alton. Thank you so much. Hi, Eve. Hi, Eve. Welcome to our show. Hello. Oh, I think uh, just one second here. There, there we, we go. go. Yeah, my, my apologies. Hello, Eve. Are you there? Hi, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Good. Um, Thank you so much for asking me to be on. And I do encourage questions from both of you as well as people who call in. I'm happy to answer the best that I can with with whatever questions come. Well, you you definitely have a wealth of knowledge and experience to share, so uh, we are delighted to have you here today. So, can you just give us uh, an overview of what you have experienced uh, being a hospice nurse? Yeah, yes, I will try. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will Don't get chucked up. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, when you were reading what um, what I wrote originally, it, it brought tears to my eyes because 
this has never been a job. This has been a, a an absolute calling, and it has been that way all of the time. Um, as a hospice nurse with mostly children, I did adults as well, but um, mostly children, I really got to witness the, the other greatest miracle that I believe can ever happen, and that that is other than birth. Um, the dying process and death absolutely are a miracle within themselves. And depending on what people's belief systems are, um, I, I think just it, it is all a miracle um, in its own way to just be part of. And I was always honored to make that journey at least part way with them. I couldn't obviously go all the way, but um, I needed to keep my feet here. And I think it's one of the most sacred, private um, occurrences in life, and um, and I treated it as such. Um, I've I've witnessed the most intimate moments of families. Um, I've watched incredible, great healings occur. Um, when people could be honest with each other um, about what was happening and, you know, just take that journey step by step. Um, And I also watched people move a lot more towards their own sense of spirituality, whatever that is for them, whether it was, you know, religion as we know that, other spirituality, other realms. Um, I noticed that, excuse me, the people who were really spiritual based on some level in some way, um, seemed to fare much better. Um, the, the patients died more calmly. Um, the families held together. Um, I've also seen them be pulled apart. But um, that seemed to be tantamount to, to them staying together was their belief system. And when they plugged into it, it just gave them great strength. Um, one of the things I experienced personally was to find my own strength and resolve to walk this journey over and over and over again. Um, And it was just never taken for granted. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So uh, in your experience, what are, what are the differences between those who were walking this in their faith and those who were not? What was, what was the biggest thing that you noticed? The biggest difference? Um, the ones who walked in their faith <clears throat> just had a sense of focus. They had a sense of purpose um, on how to help and how to guide and how to support, how to give them comfort, how to help them, how to help re- remind them. Children did this very easily. Children were ahead of the adults usually always in anything. Um, but it helped them to be present in life and to appreciate both past and the present walk of the time. Um, and everyone seemed to have less anxiety in general when they were faith-based um, of, of whatever that was. The ones who were not or could not find that or could not remember, um, there was lots of high anxiety. I'll just say it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very difficult or more difficult, I guess, from my vantage point, to try to comfort them and to share things with them. But I will share that every once in a while, even the ones who were not faith-based necessarily or, you know, poo-pooed the angels and all of that, oddly enough, at the end, depending on how the patient was behaving, um, if they were talking to things that most of them could not see and all of that, they became very curious. And I clearly remember a number of them. I could see who they were talking with. And so because I believe with the whole of my heart, I would just say that. I would just state it as as a fact because to me it was. And I would share who they were talking to. And if the patient was at all aware, they would validate that. And that brought them great peace. And a lot of them would say, oh, my God, I never believed that, or I never saw that, or, I, ne-, you know, but they did. And a lot of times oh. that would bring them around. You know, I, 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 have, a, uh, I have a question along those lines. Um, so at the end, have, did you actually see the transformation of family members who didn't have faith? Did you see them change and, and suddenly have faith as a result? Because I know this happened to my own daughter 
when my mom mm-hmm. was dying and my mom was seeing, uh, you know, her mom and her dad and, and, uh, and Jesus and others were there to come and get her. And at that mm-hmm. moment, my daughter looked at me and said, oh, my gosh, mom, I was on the fence about this before, but not anymore. And so did you actually see that sort of transformation happen? I absolutely did. Um, I, I, I hope that it's okay to tell some stories because through these stories is really what my whole work life is all about. <clears throat> but we, there was a teenager that um, was such a dear, just such a dear and spunky, and so was his mom, who was not necessarily a believer in stuff, but, you know, she was cool. She was a really cool mom. And about two weeks before he passed, um, he got very agitated, and his mom was standing at the foot of the bed. I was standing next to him, and he was becoming highly agitated. And rather than just medicate him, I tended to ask questions, especially if they could answer anything. And I said to him, you know, what, what's upsetting you? What's going on? And he kept pointing to the closet, the closet, which the door was open, but his mom was standing in front of it. So I looked over and I went, hmm. So I said, tell me what you see. I mean, I already saw it, but he said, tell me what you see. And he says, well, for God's sakes, my angel standing right there. My mom's in the way. Mm-hmm. He was like, so, you know, and he said it quietly to me. And I looked up and I said, can I share it with your mom? And he goes, yeah. And so I told her. And her mouth dropped open. And because I said it was so much, I guess, credibility because I believed it. And he and I both saw his angel. It was one of his major angels that I know came to help him and support him. Um, she just she just stepped aside in utter, in a way, disbelief at first. And then it was like, oh, my God. She goes, there's something to this, huh? And then she proceeded to sort of, you know, kind of get on board and do her own investigation wow. sort of, yeah, to see. But well, absolutely. That's really, that's a beautiful story. I, I'm sure you have hundreds and hundreds of those kinds of experiences. So how were you able to segue into talking about uh, the afterlife with families and children? And do children have a... Uh, openness or an understanding about angels in the afterlife? Absolutely. Um, children, the younger they are, the the more they remember where they came from. And I know this because I've had out-of-body experiences where I've been on the other side. And so I have a sense and understanding of what I have seen and what I've heard over there. And listen to the children who are, you know, even toddlers. I mean, if they're articulate, they, they still have a memory. And they've articulated things that, um, that I thought, <laughs> uh-huh, because that's, as an adult, that's what I saw. And so they remember where they came from. And so they're not all slapped and weirded out about, um, you know, well, should I or shouldn't I say. The kids are just so straightforward. And, um, again, depends on their ages. <clears throat> depends on the belief systems that they were taught. So, Young children see, uh, they see their angels, they talk to them like imaginary friends in that sense. And they're all good with it, whether the parents are on board or not. And um, so when they're young, there's a magical part of this for them. It's like they're going to heaven, and heaven is a place, it's a destination, and they're, they get it. They're okay. And if they're taught about God and all of that, then that's, a, that's sort of a comfort to them because when they're young, they're just going on another journey. They don't see it as a finality. They get around later to saying, geez, my mom and dad come kind of thing. Mm. Um, but when when they find out not, it is upsetting because, you know, they get sad. Um, but I usually help the parents help them understand they will always be around. And the kids know that. They just get it. The older Did you, they I, are. Have you, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm sorry, Eve. I was just wondering, are, have you did you find that uh, the children actually um, consoled their parents before the passing? You know, where oh. the, where the child was passing and gave their parents something to hold on to, or uh, yes. or you know, consoling them at the end. So many times, so many times. Wow. They, you know, I, I would try to open a dialogue, and it wasn't easy, but I would open a dialogue over time because if you're not honest with children, you're scaring the 
you're scaring them really badly. Oh, wow. And um, because they already know. And so when they say, you know, am I dying? And the parents say, no, 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 you're going to get better. When in fact they are not, it scares the kids. I know this because they've shared it with me over the years. So I would tell the parents that and I would encourage them. And there was a lot of kids trying to protect parents, parents trying to protect kids. And, and in that, so much anxiety was created and so much needless, in a sense, you know, chaos that didn't have to be. So part of what I did was to try to open a dialogue, and oftentimes it was the kids that would do that first, especially the younger ones. You get towards teenage years, they see their whole life ahead of them, and they can't, and they know we're going to reach it, and they get angry. You know, they go through stuff more closely like adults do. Um, mm. But the younger ones oftentimes, you know what, Mommy, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be your angel, and I'm going to be around you. And, you know, this kind of dialogue is what I heard from them often. Wow. So when you mm. when you dealt with children that were older, that were in their teenage years and uh, that kind of thing, how was their perspective primarily different from your younger children other other than being more accepting what were the stages that they experienced they how can i say this um they more profoundly experienced the stages of grief which is by the way not linear um you go from one to six to five to two to you know it's all over the place and, and you repeat them over and over again a lot of the times um, so there's not a linear process that I know some people think, <clears throat> but um, they were more closely aligned with, I remember one in particular, um, she was 15, I think she was 15, and um, she tore her oxygen off. I mean, she was literally dying at this point and hadn't come to terms with it yet. And she tore her oxygen off, scrambled down to the bottom of the bed, and literally leaped into my arms, and the and my boss was in there with me, into her arms. And we caught her and sat down with her, and she died. And thank God she died in our arms because her parents weren't there at the moment. They were on their way to get there. But she died being angry. But what I saw at that very last second and it might have been that she found, you know, comfortable arms, but I think she found that peace that she was looking for on her way out, and that was mm-hmm. the most peaceful I had ever seen her. Wow. Yeah, is that is that something that it was common where you would see the look on somebody's face where that would just totally change into a uh, – a glow of joy and happiness as they start to recognize where they're, where they're going, where they are and who's there yes. to, to bring them over. Yes. Oftentimes yeah. when they would start to show up, I mean, I, I normally I could see almost everybody, whether they were the, you know, ones who passed or angels or whatever. <clears throat> and, um, and I was plugged in with them and they knew that. So there was comfort. It was always the family's, found comfort afterwards when I shared it with them. But a lot of times you'll notice um, if you're around anyone who is dying, they'll claw at the air or they seem like they're just reaching out for obscurity and nothingness and whatever. And that's not my experience. That isn't true. They're reaching out to those folks who are coming to take them back and they can see them. And I have, when I, when I validated some of them that I also could see it, that brought them some peace too, because they were like, "I knew that, but yeah, now I really know that." <laughs> um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, a, a lot of the times, um, and they would, the children would articulate who was there. The adults, I would have to say who I saw, and then they would know that it was okay. That yes, that's my husband, or yes, that's my mom, or you know, whomever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there were times when. Um, they, I mean, there was a glow from them. There was a peacefulness. They they went from this agonal look, which is, mm. you know, there's an agonal part of the dying process. Um, they went from that to this extreme peace, not always, but when they did, it was incredible to watch. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Really beautiful. We do need to na- take a, a short commercial break. Um, for those of you that are listening, if you have questions for our special guest today, please call us at 
888-888-9881. And we will be right back. Are your windows dirty again? At Ontiveros Window Cleaning, we offer cleaning services to residential and business properties while specializing in new construction. You are serviced by the pain and not by the hour, so you are guaranteed a quality clean. We refer to ourselves as window detailers with a nose-to-glass policy with flexible hours. So let us clear your views and bring light back into your homes again. Please visit our website at ontiveroswindowcleaning.com or send a text or call us at 801-949-0548 for a free estimate. Hi, Lori Lene, licensed massage therapist and owner of Raven's Call Healing Center in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. We offer several different modalities like therapeutic massage, fifth dimensional work with vibrational sound and light, classes and workshops to expand and grow your spiritual awareness, releasing the blocks in the body that no longer serve you so you can live a more vibrant life. Please check us out at ravenscallinc.com or give us a call at 928-202-1179. You get $10 off your first visit. Raven's Call, healing for your soul. And welcome back. We are speaking with our special guest today, Eve Alton, who is a retired pediatric hospice nurse. And again, if you have questions or comments that you would like to share with us, please call us at 516-666-9881. And uh, Eve, it's just such a pleasure having you here. The information and the insights that you're offering are so beautiful and so profound because of the fact they're from a firsthand experience that you've had with these individuals that you've worked with. And I really want to thank you and appreciate your candor in the way that you're, you're sharing about these experiences. I'm, I'm curious about your experiences as far as your own near-death experiences and how those have influenced you in your life about the afterlife and maybe about how that helped you in your work in, uh, as in hospice and other, other care of, of individuals. Um, I've had a number of them over the years. I'm not sure why I was dancing between here and there so often, but sometimes I was, sometimes I think I wasn't sure if I really wanted to stay, um, some of the time. So I, I have had the experience of just floating above my body, um, during a cardiac arrest that I had in, in, um, in a cath lab one time when I was, I don't know, in my mm, late twenties, I think, um, Wow. And I will say quickly with that one that although I didn't go far away, I did. I was out of my body, um, and I didn't feel a thing. And I realized for for reasons that I want to keep private, only because they they involve my my mom and dad um, and their story. Um, but I will say that because of something they had gone through. While I was out there, I realized, come on, you have a choice. You cannot do this to them again. Not that I did anything, but, I mean, they can't lose a kid. And I thought, this is crazy. So in the middle of the code, I slammed back into my body and was for a moment really sorry because it was so painful. Mm. Um, but <laughs> here's the painful. Um, but afterwards, the next day, my surgeon came in to see how I was doing and he, uh, and I looked at him and I said, so I have one question. What? I said, why were you singing, I have tears in my ears crying over you? And he hit, hit the color drained right out of his face. He said, you heard that? I said, yeah, loud and clear. I was just floating up above. So that's validation that you can hear as well when you're not present as people think you are to be present. But I heard everything he said, and I was able to say it back to him. And that helped me to know that people can hear. I mean, that was true validation. And that's why I always encourage people to talk to people when they're unconscious Mm -hmm. or don't seem present because they truly, they can't answer, but they can certainly hear. And the last one that I had was in my mid-30s, and that was way more profound. Um, I was told that night from my physician that there was nothing anybody could do. Um, I wasn't probably going to be alive in the morning and that I was truly in God's hands. Well, I thought to myself, I know that. (laughs) No one was believing me, but I knew I was in God's hands. And this helped me really to to really connect profoundly with my own spirituality um, and start a journey because 
on that out-of-body experience, I crossed to the other side. I had a silver thread um, wrapped around my index finger, and I, I knew that. I, I knew what it was. And I pretty much went all the way to where I could see the colors and hear the sounds and feel the peace that I don't know that we'll ever experience while we're still earthly bound. Um, it was an incredible place, and I thought, you know, I'll just let go of the thread because I knew that's what kept me there. And hmm. I was toying with it, and I thought, I'm just going to go on out. Why wouldn't I? This is so beautiful. But I heard a very loud, distinct message. You have more to do. Go home, meaning back to here, this home. So because I tend to be a bit of an imp at times, I was playing with the string purposely in my finger, between my thumb and my index finger, and I got clear that if you lose this, you're done. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there is no coming back. So you're hanging. Um, you're literally hanging on by a thread. By a thread, <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, quit screwing around. <laughs> and so when I was there in the morning, my doc came in and goes, oh, I freaking, I well, I don't see what he really said, but I'll just say, I freaking don't believe this. <laughs> and mm. um, <laughs> I went. I went on a spiritual quest and a holistic journey because modern medicine was not healing what was ailing me. And um, that was a long journey um, because I had two brain bleeds at this time. So it was about a 10-year journey of spirituality and holistic um, and all of that to regain who I am and, and even more so. And having had those experiences when I would see other people go through this, although I never quote unquote told my story because I didn't need to and they didn't need to hear it, I was able to give them bits and pieces of information as a result to that that was plausible to them and and gave them some food for thought to help mm. make decisions, for help for them to make decisions. So um in the uh children teenagers, people that you have assisted uh, crossing over, so to speak, um, how many of them had near-death experiences and came back and were able to share things with you prior to their final crossing? Hmm. Interesting. Um, And and what kinds of things did they share? I didn't hear a lot of that from the children. I think it was to them. I think they were bouncing back and forth, and they didn't need to necessarily verbalize it. I think adults share it more because it's like, oh, my God, guess what? Children are so natural with it. But I have heard a few of them over the time share with me when they were out, and then they did regain consciousness. Um, Some of them did survive, and obviously many of them did not. Um, but they would tell me, you know, I was playing with Jesus yesterday. Oh, cool. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. very sweet. Yeah. Or they would say, like, do you know what heaven looks like? You know, and they would tell me. And, you know, some people want to say, well, it's just their imagination. Maybe so. But I tend to believe that that because they are as pure and open as they are, they really did see the real deal because I know what I saw when I was over there. And so when they can describe any of that, it's like, yeah, they they bounced in and out, you know? Yeah. You know, I I remember years ago hearing something about when, uh, you know, Paul McCartney from the Beatles, when his wife Linda passed, and whether this was true or not, I'm not sure, but of course I read it in some magazine, but where he was with her at the end of life and he said to her, you're, I think it was something to this effect of, of you're going into a beautiful forest with, uh, you know, that's all bright and, and lovely and, and you're at peace. And he just, he, he talked to her as she was making her transition and helped her make this transition a beautiful one. Did you ever do anything mm-hmm. like that? Did you ever have experiences like that or witness that sort of thing in your work, Eve? Um, I did, and I, I want to tell you a story um, a little more simple than, than that, but, but it was very profound, <clears throat> um, but connected to that. Um, I had a 10-year-old one time who um, I was not going to get better, and um, her mom was terrified. She was a great mom, but she was terrified and went through all the normal things that parents do when they're losing a child. 
And a few hours before she died, she was articulate and she was awake. Her mom was holding her in her arms. And she she got very upset again. You know, kids just act out what they feel and very mm-hmm. anxious. And her mom didn't want me to medicate her as, any more than I had to. And I said, that's fine. And I, I was always good with that. So I said, tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. What's upsetting you? And she very matter-of-factly said, so I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to God because that's where God lives. But I don't know what happens when when I leave here. What happens between here and where God is? I'm like, you're 10 years old? Oh, my goodness. So, wow. so how do I, what train do I take, basically, kind of thing. And so I said, I asked your mom, would you trust me with the answer I was going to give? And my mother had a lot of trust in me, and she goes, go for it. And so my mom had passed by then, and I clearly got that she would come back and help me with the children. She very often, and I would call her sometimes, but she would come down and she would be there ready to take them. And and mm-hmm. I saw it over and over and over again. So I asked this little girl. I told her, I said, you know, my mom's in heaven. <gasps> she is? She see God? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and I said, she's, she's like an angel, you know. She kind of comes back and forth like the angels do. She goes, well, I know that, and in, in, a, in a way of acknowledging like she understood kind of thing. Mm. And I said, so how about if you go from your mom's arms to my mom's arms to God? And she went, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah, you can. Wonderful. Wow. That is so wonderful. That is wonderful. We do have a caller. Um, must Hello. be out of the country. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, you're on the air. Wow. Elton. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes. Ah, yeah. Um, my name is Bob, and I live in the Whitsunday Islands in Australia. And I'm not sure if I've called in before, but I have a um, a life-changing <laughs> near-death experience story that I'd like to share, if that's okay with you. Yes, please. And can you speak up just a little bit for us? Okay. I will no, that's that. better. Thank you. No worries, as we say in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was living on my boat, Fidelio, in uh, Pioneer Bay, and this is about eight years ago. And that was my home. Um, and one night, about 8 p.m., and it's dark here in the tropics at 8 p.m., I was down below decks um, on my dog's Facebook page <laughs> when all of a sudden the lights went dim and I couldn't breathe. And I looked across at the voltmeter and, no, 13 volts, so it's nothing... There and then just to the left of my vision, there was this swirly, ethereal, uh, black, silky presence. And I thought, well, hello, old friend. And I thought, you know, <laughs> the Grim Reaper has come to get me and it's all over, Red Rover. And so I still couldn't breathe. And um, my experience of near death experiences, time becomes irrelevant, it just seems to stretch. So, still unable to breathe, I just typed into uh, Facebook, hey guys, if I don't post anything in the next 20 minutes, can you get volunteer rescue to come out and get Barnaby? Because I was mm-hmm. concerned, like, if I died, you know, after he'd eaten me, he'd run out of food and then he would die. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there pondering what to do, and I just checked within me, and I... I just walked up the gangway, uh, the companionway, stood on deck, and I'm naked. Probably too much information. But, um, <laughs> I looked up at the sky, and there were two full moons. I could see two full moons. So the bay I was moored in was surrounded by mang- mangrove trees where um, crocodiles live. It's after dark, and that's when they both sharks and crocodiles feed. But I just leapt overboard into the ocean and lay on my back and spread out like a great big starfish and then all of a sudden I went 
Ah. <laughs> and I could breathe again. And for me, that was the night I bet my life on totally trusting my inner tuition, my inner knowing. And since since that day, my journey has just been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Because in, in what my, way? Now my heart, my heart is my only compass and my inner tuition is my only guide. And it was um, very soon after that that I... I'd been taking antidepressants for over 20 years, and within the following couple of weeks, I just threw them, threw them all away, and realised that, um, you know, I'd been trying to think my way out of depression for over 20 years, and couldn't think my, I had to feel my way through it, and so, you know, all I did was discharge all the feelings in my body. My body was telling me what to do. It knew what I needed to do which was to get out all these entrained feelings of trauma and abuse from childhood and stuff. And mm. so that, you know, that was a major step forward in my own personal journey. And I'm, I'm now... How long ago was that, Bob? That was about eight years ago. I started yeah. personal growth work in 1990, but that was more of a, a mental thing. But like every step I've taken, however painful, has led me here to contentment. Um, I'm just, you know, I don't even own a pair of shoes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, that's more, right? <laughs> yeah. For me, for me, it's, it's um, that fellow Descartes was wrong. You know, when he said, I think, therefore I am? He was wrong. Yeah. Because <laughs> for me, I experience this physical existence. I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. I feel the breeze in my hair. I smell the sweet tang of the rotting mangoes under the tree that's just outside. So for me, it's not I think, therefore I am. I feel, therefore I am. I like that. I love it. I yeah. love that. That's wonderful. I, I, I was in uh, UCLA. I took philosophy for a few years, and uh, there was something. It was like uh, Plato said, "To be is to do," and Descartes said, "To do is to be," or something like that. And then Frank Sinatra, of course, said, "Do be, do be, do." <laughs> yeah, well, I've got, I've got since that time, I keep getting loads of downloads, lots of little insights, and for me, huh. is it's one is a bumper sticker of mine. Um, being requires neither thinking or doing. Mm. Oh wow! Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's profound. Yep. Yeah, that was my that was my mom's um, my mom's motto was uh, I'm busy being. Yeah, and I love yeah. this one when it when it came through was thinking is the weapon of mass distraction. Ah, yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, Bob, for calling in and sharing your story and your experiences and all the ways that that moment impacted your life. We really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for taking my. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bob. And uh, uh, Eve, I have a question about um, how, how do children understand death and how does that differ from the way adults understand it? Can you share, shed a little light on that? Um, yes, I know I said a, a little bit about that earlier. Um, it, it does differ with their ages. They understand it magically in the first few years of life. And as they grow older, um, it becomes more concrete. There's, you know, there's an age group there that kids are just absolutely black and white and very concrete. And um, that's still okay but then as they get a little bit older and then on up, um, it, it becomes final. It, it's, not, it's not the same kind of finality for the young ones. It's a journey they're going on or a new place they're going to, even without their parents. They, you know, they can be somewhat sad. But they sort of see it, as, and that's why they comfort their parents. It's like, it's okay, I'm only going wherever. Um, but again, the older they get, the more final it becomes and the more the harder it becomes to help them and support them. They they need a lot more support. Um, it also mm-hmm. depends on their belief systems, what they were taught. 
um, from their parents um, and if they want to even follow that because I know probably both of you know that, that children can be taught certain things but within themselves they're their own person and they have their own feelings, thoughts, and, and beliefs, you know, all by themselves whether they share it or not. Um, so some of them use that to comfort themselves because it's sort of, and I guess you could say they use their imagination and they make stuff up, but don't we all to some extent um, to find comfort. And so I, I noticed children would do some of that. Um, the other piece too is, is children, children are so much more plugged in and more accepting of what is as opposed to parents who are heartbroken that they're losing their child. And again, they're trying to protect each other. And I would encourage dialogues all the time because the kids, the kids would come and tell me, please don't tell my parents, but I know that I'm not going to get better, but they're all upset. And don't you know that kind of thing? And that's when I knew that I believed I should start having a dialogue to have them talk to each other to make this transition a lot more peaceful. Um, Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. I mean, the, the, um, the people are so afraid to talk about death for one thing. They're afraid to have yeah, a dialogue country. about it. Um, mm-hmm. When my mom was passing, I told her I, when hospice came in, I, I know about life after death and all that stuff. But in that moment, I was a vulnerable little girl at, you know, at the Absolutely. age of 50, uh, whatever it was. And 52 right. years old, and and I was going to miss my mommy, and I told her so. I said, I said, I really don't want you to die, but I also want you to be out of pain, and I love right. you so much, and I'm really going to miss you. And I and I mm-hmm. and I was able to say all those things rather than saying it into the ethers after she died. Awesome. I was able to say it to her, and it was a beautiful right. exchange. And and I just wanted to share one other little thing. I on on another on the other end of the spectrum. I just had a memory now about when I was a little girl, very little girl, I was probably like five and my brother was about seven years old and we were in the kitchen with my mom and all of a sudden my brother and I started telling my mom the story about how we were born and how mm-hmm. I was, and how I was waiting after my brother was born because he was older than me and how I was mm-hmm. waiting to be born and what it felt like to be born that we were sliding down this wonderful like slide. And I think we compared it to shoots and ladders, you know, <laughs> so we got mm-hmm. to slide down this long slide and came out into this beautiful light. And so I just wanted to share that because of what you're saying about I the children. That. Yeah. Having the, these children, having this wonderful, you know, awareness of, of, of the other side. It's, kind of mm-hmm. from the other side coming here, this is the other side. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a different type of birthing, I think, when, when we make that transition. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the, I have two little things to share here. Um, for the dying process, to me, it is so similar to the transition in birth. It's the hardest. It's the messiest. It's the most anxiety-producing. And at the very end, when everyone has done what they need to do, hopefully they have, um, there is such a sense of peace and relief, kind of like when the baby is born. There's such joy. And I can't say there's necessarily joy, you know, when a child dies. I get that. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a peace that that they were able to do what you're saying and express all the feelings they have before they go. Um, it, it just creates such a sense of peace. Um, mm. Yeah, just such a yeah. sense of peace. And children, a lot of people don't realize this, but children of almost any age, when, they have, when they're old enough to know they have possessions, they want to put their affairs in order, and they have actually told that to me, even when they're six years old, five years old, uh, and not articulated that way. But what they've said is, well, my mom won't listen to me, but I need to put this here, and I need that one to go to my friend. And I, So really to understand that children need to put their affairs in order, as do adults, and it gives them the same sense of peace. So to recognize that, if you can, when you're dealing with, you know, any loved one, but children as well, um, to not leave them out and take for granted, oh, well, whatever. Um, children, too, they, they just know far, far beyond their age. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, Real quickly, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, if you have a question or comment you would like to share, please call us at 516-666-9881. We are going to take a short commercial break, and we will be right back. Hey, friends, it's Rebecca Cute Hands letting you know the medicine pouch ceremonies are coming up December 20th, 21st, and 22nd. If you would like to attend any one of these ceremonies, give me a call at 928-499-4128. This year, we're going to be filling the pouches with 23 blessings and offerings honoring our DNA. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope to see you there. Many blessings. Mishtae wado. Hi, everyone. My name is Deborah Burton, and I live in Sedona, Arizona. I sell crystals and crystal pendants. Crystal Beings for Lightworkers. I specialize in white satin sparse selenite, angel crystals, and rare crystals of many kinds. I have lots of treasures, and I offer them for very reasonable prices. My website is metaphysicalrealm1.com. The one is the number one, and that is metaphysicalrealm1.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Dave Maroff, Transformational Life Coach and Spiritual Counselor. Are you feeling stuck? can't find your way, have the questions but can't find the answers, Life Coaching can help you move forward from where you are in your life to where you want to be. So give me a call at 928-642-8443 to schedule an appointment today or visit my website at www.davehartom.com. I'm here to help you. Have a wonderful day. And welcome back. Uh, we have a caller from area code 928. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Hi, guys. Well, it's Mother Pearl. Well, hi, hi Mother, Mother Pearl. Pearl. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> welcome to our show. So, uh, say that again. I said welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much. It's a really lovely, very touching show today, mm-hmm. and it, it makes me think very much of my mother, who passed in 1996, and I was at her side when she when she went, and um, I just thought I'd call in and just share my experience. Uh, that I went through with her. Yeah. Um, uh, One of the things that I know that I could not have gotten through this experience with her, I I became her care provider um, for about a year. And prior to that, she uh, was in the hospital. She had gone into a coma. And I was able to have a conversation with her while she was in that coma just to tell her that if she uh, decided that she would, you know, uh, wanted to come back, that I would care for her, that she wouldn't have to worry about anything, but that if she decided that she was done and wanted to leave, that I would miss her very much and, you know, just, you know, please do, that everybody, that we would all be okay. And Mm -hmm. she did decide to come back. And I had um, uh, my what I call my network of angels and guides. I had a uh, I, I couldn't have gotten through this without them. I was constantly uh, talking to them about how to care for my mother. She had lost her ability to walk. Um, she was uh, you know very ill in a lot of different ways, but she hadn't lost her humor. And in talking to my guys, they did tell me that she would be with me for about a a year. And uh, part of, you know, what gets so tender during this time of year is that, I, uh, you know, I'm thinking about that last Christmas that I got a chance to spend with her. And um, just the, the sweetness of the time of being with her, noticing how she had one foot here and 
one foot already on the other side. It was a very interesting experience to go through. But the thing that uh, that I, I can't describe enough is how uh, uh, how closely held we both were by our angels and guides to actually walk through this experience in the most love that we could possibly muster. It was uh, like one of the most tender times I have ever, ever, ever had with my mom. And to watch her trust me with her care of making that transition, to watch her literally release all of her fears over because I was there with her. And uh, she knew that I would be there at the moment that she did make that, you know, uh, crossover. And um, uh, she was in ICU. She had a surgery that she didn't recover from. That is, that's what prompted the leaving. And after two days, she couldn't speak, but she looked at me and totally conveyed to me that she was ready to go to get her off of life support, please let me go. Her eyes were telling me, please let me go. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And uh, my guides, you know, our guides and angels came in, and they let me know that the following day at 3 o'clock she would be leaving. And I was able to call my family and let them know that it was time that they needed to get to the hospital. And sure enough, on the next day at 3 o'clock, um, my mom made her transition, and I was holding her hands. And I had promised her that I would, you know, uh, be her, be that person that actually hands her over to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I had her hands in my hand, and I saw these hands reach in to take her hands from me, and in that moment uh, she left. And it was just the most, I'll just never forget it. It was the most mm-hmm. touching um I uh, just but, heavenly, just uh, yeah. Such a beautiful story. Such a beautiful passing. Very beautiful. Yeah, and it and was, so experiential. It's just, I mean, the the hand, the touching of the hands, and the and taking the hands away from you. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is really, really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling in and sharing your story. We really appreciate hearing from you. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. You're for the welcome. Call. You're so welcome. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we do have another caller waiting from area code 928-8443. Caller, are you there? Hello. Yes, I am. Hi. 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 What would you like to share with us I have a question for Eve. Well, (laughs) actually, I have a question for Eve. You know, I've... My wife passed away several years ago, and she was in a coma. And I, what I'd like to, you know, I was in such a state that I didn't probably didn't notice anything besides, you know, the feelings I was feeling. But um, have you had experience or, or, like, watched people in a coma before? I assume you have with as much experience as you had. And did you notice, what do, what do you notice about people who are getting ready to transition and they're actually in a coma, you know, they're not communicative. I mean, what kind of experiences have you had with that? Um, well, children, again, children and adults differ somewhat, but um, they can go from, like I said earlier, about the agonal look, because they're at the very end of life. It's like the transition and birth is very painful. Um, that's why they give them meds and stuff to manage it. And so I have seen them go from that agonal to peace um, just by the look on their face, the tenseness or the lack of tension in their face. I've also noticed when people can talk to them, um, and it's okay that you can or don't, don't, you know, don't, there's no guilt involved with any of this here at all. Um, because they're they're in such an okay place in that sense. They don't judge all that. Um, but I've just seen them mostly by the expressions on their face, that they go from 
you know, you can sort of see them working through their own stuff sometimes in that sense when you're actually able to plug in and tune in. And and I could more than family members because it was still a distance. It wasn't my journey. It was mine to support. Um, it wasn't mine to actually go through that like a family member. So that's the best I can, I guess, can share with you is that I would just see changes in their face and, and, Sometimes when they would open their eyes, they weren't looking at anything that we know of. I mean, I know they were looking at their angels and and people they could see, and that was all part of that process, you know, when they'd open them and they'd close them. Um, And in the deep coma or deep unconsciousness, I still know, I believe, um, that they can hear. And if you can say anything, that comforts them. But it's just that process, and most of it is telltale, by the tenseness in her body or the relaxation, um, you know, as time passes. Does, does that answer that at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. And another thing is, is um, <clears throat> did you, because I know sometimes, I'm I'm pretty sure that my wife was probably, she may have been gone a long time before she actually, her her physical body passed. So <laughs> I, I don't know if you've, have you seen that? I mean, have you seen um, I've seen them you, jump because I know forth. you can see. Okay, because I know you can yep. see things and that you know whether they were there or not. Right. I have seen many adults and children. Um, they jump back. I mean, that's the terminology we use. They would jump back and forth, meaning they would be in their body, and next thing, <clears throat> they'd be out of their body. Sort of testing the waters was what I kind of figured. They were like, oh, because I believe that's where they went. And it was like, yeah, no, not yet, or I'm not ready, or oh, whatever was going on with them. And they'd come back in. And the, what I saw, and I don't know that everyone could see this, but what I what I would see is um, and feel. A lot of it was feel for me. I would feel the the lack of density in them. So because when your spirit leaves, you're not dense anymore. And that well, y'all, but different way. Um, there was an aliveness, even though they were unconscious, in that denseness in the body. When they would jump on the other side, there'd be an emptiness. I, I would just feel the emptiness. Sometimes I could actually see them. When my daughter died, I actually saw her soul literally lift out of her body and take off, which is the kind of mm-hmm. kid she was. She was like, she took no prisoners. And um, I actually saw her soul leave. So when I would see this with people going back and forth, it was that kind of thing. They were, there was a feeling and, and that they were in there and then you would look at them and you could feel, oh my goodness, it's like an empty shell, which is what happens when your soul leaves, obviously. Um, and then I'd feel um, them come back in again. I, I don't want to cut you short or, or interrupt, but we're just down to the last couple of minutes of the show here. So we need to wrap up. And thank no our caller and thank our caller for calling Wonderful. in and asking yep. thanks. great questions. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, I just have one quick question here before we conclude our show today. Um, earlier, you talked about the little boy who saw the angel standing behind his mother. Mm-hmm. Do children often comment to you or recognize that there is? Maybe a family member that's passed before them or angels or someone around who is there to help them. Yes. And you know how children behave when they have a secret to tell? You know, they'll cup their hand, their face and, and tell you it's a secret? I would yeah. see that very often. I would hear that. They would they would call me over because they're afraid to tell their parents because they didn't know the response some of the time. And mm-hmm. so they would call me over and they would share these things and it was like a secret. And I would always ask, can I tell your mom or can I tell your dad? And usually they gave permission to do that. But, yeah, very often those were the ones that were much more open and receptive to hear, see, feel, and communicate that they were doing that. Um, they oh, they were so much. totally unabashed about it. That is really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank for, you for being with us today, Eve. It was a really a truly beautiful show. Really enjoyed it. It was, my, and, and my really pleasure. appreciate. Yeah, we really appreciate your sharing your expertise. Thank you so very much. <laughs> and very we would welcome, like to and thank you for asking. Thank you. Thank you. And we would <laughs> like to uh, ask you to tune in again next Friday, December twentieth at twelve noon Arizona time. We will be speaking with our very special guest, 
Ann Albers. She is an animal communicator. Animal. <laughs> Sorry, Ann. <laughs> Angel communicator. Um, you can find all of our broadcasts. I can't talk anymore. On Blog Talk Radio, also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Please post about us on your uh, social media and tell your friends. And thank, thank you for letting, letting us know who you are. are.